I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today, my guest is Daisy Auger Dominguez, the Chief People Officer of Vice Media Group. Daisy has made it her mission to make workplaces more equitable, more compassionate, and more inclusive. A human capital executive and workplace culture strategist, she inspires and equips global organizations to think inclusively, lead with purpose, embrace courage, and shape the future of work. Prior to Vice Media Group, Daisy designed and executed organizational transformation at companies like Moody's, the Walt Disney Company, and Google. Her impact over the past 20 years reaches across the global business, social impact, and entrepreneurial and philanthropic communities. Daisy is also a dynamic and sought-after speaker, and she serves on the board of directors of organizations including Planned Parenthood, the Brooklyn's Children's Museum, the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation, the 19th, and she's on the advisory board of Facing History and Ourselves. Daisy, thank you so much for being here today. So Daisy, thank you so much for joining me. I was just thinking to myself that we've gotten together twice in the last six months and uh, both times we're on Zoom. So I'll take what I can get at this point in the midst of COVID, but, but thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I just, I, I love your work. Thank you. So before we jump into these questions, you know, sometimes before, when you have a podcast and you're chit-chatting with the guests before, I always wish I had the, you know, the recording on earlier, but, but you were just sharing your daughter starts remote school tomorrow. And, you know, what were you, we want to hear more. You were talking about your, your epic fails, which I'm sure I can add about 12 to the list as well. What's going on over there? It's been such an epic fail. I mean, I think every parent for the last couple of weeks has just been racking their brain around how do we make this year somewhat normal and okay. Right. Um, my daughter is 12. She's, uh, going into seventh grade and, uh, I keep on telling everyone, I was like, yes, my daughter's, you know, first day of seventh grade is tomorrow in her bedroom. <laughs> it's like, that's, you know, that is where I, I you know, I'm taking, I'm going to, I'm thinking about, you know, your first day of, of school photos. It's like, it will be in her bedroom. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I was mentioning to you how I've just, you know, I think it's impossible not to be a parent, particularly of teenagers and not feel like you're a failure, but I feel like I've just had epic failures this last last couple of months. And mostly because for me, the beginning of the school year, like it is for everyone, is so exciting, right? And it's, you know, it, and it marks the beginning of a new year, possibilities and joys and, you know, and you mark it with buying new clothes and, you know, school, uh, you know, materials and all of that. And like this year, it just kind of came about. And I literally looked at my daughter's closet and said, eh, uh, she doesn't need new clothes. She's fine. I looked at her shoes. I was like, right, maybe, they still fit. Right. Maybe a new shirt or two, because <laughs> it'll only be seen from the waist up anyway. Exactly. So her shirts are all fine. You know, she'll be wearing her sweatpants, which is just what teenagers want to wear anyway. Um, I looked at her shoes, which is also always the marker. And where I've, ever since she was a little kid, where I've always felt like, oh my goodness, I'm, what a bad mom. Like she's been wearing small shoes, you know, like the wrong size shoes for too long. Um, and I look and she put them on. I was like, they fit. And anyway, she wears them maybe once a week. Um, and, but, but then I forgot like, oh yes, she has to have her medical uh, uh, checkup and these forms that need to be completed. The, the school keeps on sending me and I keep on forgetting. Um, on Monday, I had scheduled an appointment for, have, for having her for doing her annual checkup. And I thought I was so proud of myself. I scheduled it on a day off and it's not conflicting with my work. And on our way there, we get a call from the doctor. 
oh, we're so sorry. The doctor's actually not in. Our offices are actually closed. I was like, wait, but you confirmed this for me. I need this. And I, Erica, I literally was about, I was having a meltdown in the car. My daughter's yeah. behind me and looking at me like, it's all, it's going to be okay, mom. And then I had this light moment of, wait a second. She's not going to be even touching any, any other the kids for the next couple of weeks. We can push this back. <laughs> and so yeah, I, I, exactly. it was a fail that then turned into a moment of power of like, oh, it's, you know what? It's fine. Uh, I'm going to take her at right, a time that I can a, take her. She doesn't need a doctor's note to do school in her bedroom. Like, like it's fine. Um, and then I, I was mentioning to you that yesterday, like around six or 7 PM, she comes into the bedroom and she's like, Hey mom, with like, you know, her little quiet voice where, you know, something's gone wrong. It's like, so all of my friend's parents went to pick up their school boxes today. You know, when are you getting mine? And I looked at her with this blank stare, like, what box do you speak of? <laughs> I was like, what, what is this that I need to do? My husband and I started looking through all of our emails. He starts telling me, oh yeah, I think I saw something. And I'm looking at him like, why did you remind me? So we had another moment. And then this morning he just went bright and early because it was the one hour. We had one hour to go pick it up today. And you know, at one moment he turns to me and he says, well, you know, maybe she can just be okay and we'll pick it up you know, Thursday or Friday. And I looked at her, I was like, she will not be the only kid starting school in her bedroom without everything she needs. Right. <laughs> I was like, I will not let her do that. You know, it's, it's interesting though, because I, I think many of us feel a little off kilter and a lot of that is related to these back to school or not back to school or back to work rituals that we're so used to having and going to staples and, you know, thinking about what that first day is, is going to look like. So I, I'm not surprised that you and all of us are having these quote unquote epic fails or just, we're, we're just a little off because the cadence, um, our normal cadence has been, been thrown off, which I think is stressful, but also is providing some, some interesting opportunities, which we will get into today. So thank you for that. It's, it just makes everybody feel better if, if somebody like you, who, you know, has this, you know, big new job and, you know, you're writing a book and, and you're really one of the leading diversity and inclusion consultants out there today that if, that if you have trouble holding it all together some days, then the rest of us can feel, feel good about ourselves. So, so on that topic, let's just dive right in. And, you know, last night when I was thinking about speaking with you today, what came to mind was, wow, I mean, what a time to be leading the charge on diversity. And I would just love to know, I mean, how is that going for you personally? You know, it's, I, I have a lot of friends who are doing this work too. And we, we, we connect and, and try to, you know, revive each other every couple of weeks because it has been um, such an exhausting time globally, right? Let's, let's all face this. This is, this is a collective experience unlike any. And then <laughs> on top of that, there's the compounding traumas of this, you know, of this moment when it comes to racial inequities and racial abuses and, you know, health disparities and financial and economic disparities. And, you know, it's all of, all of these layered traumas that, that we're all experiencing. And, you know, and as you said, I, I joined, um, I joined the Vice Media Group as their chief people officer on May 11th. And I always tell the story because I've actually never met my boss. Nancy DeBook, who's our CEO. Wow. I've never met my team. 
I've never been to any of our offices. Right. You've never <laughs> met your team I in person. Joined. You've never met your team in person. Never, never in person. Never in person. Never physically. We know each other all from the top, you know, as, as we've been, you know, engaging for the last six months. And so, you know, I, I joined at a time of this economic and health crisis. And within a week of joining, um, you know, we, we had our first company layoffs, um, which was, you know, already hugely disruptive and painful. And I'm a, I'm a new person in the organization dealing with the emotional aftermath of losing your, you know, your people, your family, the, your colleagues. Um, and when you talk about, you know, rituals, uh, thinking about the ritual of saying goodbye in a time when we're all terrified of saying goodbye. Um, and mm -hmm. there's so much uncertainty and fear in the world. So I join at a time when that is happening. I'm barely getting my, you know, figuring out who's who in these Zoom calls and, you know, where I need to be. And then, you know, a week later, George Floyd is murdered. And then we go into another tailspin um, of racial unrest, of working for a company of journalists where they're in the business of telling these stories, um, but also in, you know, at a time when, when being a journalist and the free press is under attack. Um, and so managing that, those risk factors, again, while I'm still figuring out my bearings and getting my sea legs, um, and then very quickly moving into that how that impacted the inside of organizations. And, you know, one of my executive uh, partners likes to call it, you know, inside the Zoom, right? Because it's no longer in the hallways. You know, it's, you know, she likes to say like, let's read the Zoom <laughs> instead of reading the room. You know, so we're, we're in these moments of, of dealing with such highly um, emotional and, uh, and weighted um, you know, impactful experiences for everyone. And, and we're, we're trying to figure out how to do that across the screen um, and, you know, how to support each other across the screen. And then, then very quickly, we, we also encountered and, you know, we're stepped, not encountered really, the right word is we stepped into our own racial reckoning as an organization uh, with one of mm -hmm. our brands, Refinery29. And so the first month, this is all, by the way, within my first month <laughs> in the organization. So not only am I personally as a, as, a, as a woman of color, as a mother, as a wife, dealing with everything everybody's dealing with, I'm then also mm -hmm. carrying that and, and helping others carry all of this in the organization. And so it's been exhausting, but it also in many ways, and this is sort of strangely the way that my brain and my heart work, always being reminded of like, this is exactly what I'm built for. <laughs> like this, this is what I, I, was, to be. I was literally just going to say, like you were meant to be right here, right now in this moment, in, in this job, because everything that you've worked on in all the different organizations where you've worked and written about, and you consulted on your own, it, it, to me, it seems like it's all culminating in, in this role. And so, you know, this, this podcast is, is really about relationships and how, and how we need to honor relationships with colleagues, with our families, with ourselves. So how would you say that the relationships in your life have helped you in these first few months in this new role that's been intense on so many levels? Oh my goodness. I mean, this is, this is a time that we need each other more than ever, right? And, and that we need each other beyond the zoom. <laughs> um, and, you know, but it's to know that we have that emotional support is to know that 
Um, and there's and there's so many different relationships in our lives, right? So for me, whenever I think of relationships, I you know I think of a little bit of like Maslow's hierarchy. But for me, top my top relationship is my family. So you know, for me, if my husband and my daughter are healthy and safe, things are okay. If my parents, my brothers, my aunts, my grandmother are okay, things are okay. And so for me, very early on in the in the pandemic we established a new weekly and, I, and I, I always use rituals because of my relationship with you, but you know, we established a new ritual like many families of a weekly zoom on Sundays with my family, because I have family that is here in New Jersey and in, in the Dominican Republic. And, you know, my grandmother lives by herself. My aunt and my cousin were, you know, so, you know, my, my aunt was traveling to the DR and so she couldn't come back. And all of a sudden she's there um, helping my, my cousin with her baby cousin uh, baby, baby daughter. Um, and so we established this weekly connection point. And I have to tell you, I have to take a nap after every zoom every week, because they're so ex- beginning with getting my grandmother to use zoom correctly, which took us mm, about two months. Um, right. but it is the highlight of my week and it is where I replenish. It's where we laugh, it's where we celebrate, is where we celebrated me have, getting this job, is where we celebrate the babies. We have these two, uh, you know, 18 month old and 16 month old babies in the family. And they literally like all know us through Zoom right now. Um, but it's where we, you know, we, we hear the first words, we see them walking and running. It's, it's been such an amazing experience. And that, that center of relationships for me is critical. Then the second one is, you know, it's, it's my friends, right? Is that the, 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 the girlfriends that we would start with, that's everybody did right away. We would do all of these, you know, cocktail zooms. And then, then after two weeks, two or three weeks, we were like, okay, we're done with zooms. I miss you, but can I just call you? Cause I didn't, I don't, I don't want to do another zoom, but, but it was the, the groups of women in my life that became my, you know, my, my lifeblood. Um, and that I could call with like, this stuff is really hard or Mm -hmm. today I could only wear PJs. (laughs) It's like, that's all I could, that's all I could do today. And, 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 and all of the girlfriends going like, right on, that's good. You know, you do that. Um, it's groups like the list and it's groups like, you know, know, there's, there's all of these groups that I'm part of, which is, you know, how I've, how I've met you that, um, that have been places of solace of information sharing, mm-hmm. of just kind of, you know, giving you, you know, a nod of like, you're going to be okay. And then finally is your professional relationships. And for me, just getting this job was through a professional relationship. It was, you know, a headhunter that I had worked with uh, for years that approached me. Um, and when I was, you know, sort of, you know, weighing in and going, eh, I'm not quite sure. He was like, I know you just have this conversation, just go. Um, and, you know, and, you know, and the rest is history. Um, it was the minute I joined and I didn't, you know, when you join an organization, it's the hard, I, I know a lot about transitions. I'm, I've worked at many companies. Um, it was being able to all of a sudden figure out how to, how to quickly build relationship and trust and credibility in an environment that it's harder to do that because you're not you know, looking at each other every day. Um, how to do that across levels in the organization. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a chief executive in the organization. I have my peers that mm-hmm. are doing this work, but, you know, as, as the, the leader of our people and culture for the organization, I need to be able to be available to everyone from the most junior employee to everyone in between. And so it was very quickly making myself available to all of these employees, which was exhausting, but it was the right investment. Um, it was the right investment in relationship building because now I'm able to solve or ideate in ways a lot quicker 
than I would have if I had not built those relationships early on. And then it was bringing in my, my external relationships, um, asking questions like, how are you solving for this? What is, you know, I have, I have a friend who just sent me an email today because they're, they're looking at enhancing their gender um, identity and, uh, and racial demographic information. And we were just on a call the other day and I told her, oh, we, we've done that. I'm happy to share with you what we've done. So it's, the, it's that information sharing and helping support and elevate each other. All those relationships, I, I'm, I'm very relationship driven. So for me, it's all of those touch points are what, frankly, I think have kept me somewhat sane right. these last six months. Well, what I, I, I love how you broke that out. And when I think about honoring relationships, it's, it's saying, thinking through what, what are the relationships that are important to me and how can I honor it? And saying, you know what, we're going to start a family Zoom so that we can feel connected. And, you know, when I think about the girlfriends and the groups, the networking groups where we met, you know, we you've invested time and energy in those over the years, and now you've been able to you know and and invest it in those relationships, and and then from a professional standpoint, that seems to fuel you to be able to even have more energy, which you needed when you started this job to be there for all of those those people. So I think listeners will really appreciate and and learn from it because sometimes you feel like, you know what, I don't have time, you know, the, for the zoom call or, you know, with the family this week. But then once you're there, like you said, it's the highlight of the week. I mean, did you, I wrote this article during, during COVID and I'm curious, if you're curious your reaction to this, the, the title was, you know, why didn't we do this before? And even though we were in person, like before, did you ever say to yourself with this zoom call, why, why didn't we do this? all the time. And it's because we took it for granted. It's because we just assumed that it would happen and we just let it go. And I mean, I, I, I read your, I read your article and I thought it was so, I think I wrote you, I was like, it's so spot on because the fact of the matter is, is that my family has always been displaced ever since I can remember. So we could have been doing this all along, but we just knew that on Sundays we would call my grandma mother when I would go visit my dad in New Jersey and my aunt would come by. Like we always knew these things would happen organically, but it was no longer happening. And now we're all, now we actually, I was at my parents this weekend and um, I was, I was visiting my dad, which it was, I I had not seen him in months. It was really fantastic. And we did the zoom. We were like, we're still honoring the zoom at the same hour. And my parents, my dad and my stepmom were in the kitchen and my husband, my daughter and I were in the living room. (laughs) It's like, we're still honoring this because we still haven't talked to these folks this week and we want to see right. them. And it was so much fun, but you're spot on. Like all of these things that we're doing, um, you know, like right at the beginning of COVID uh, I, I would hear in, in our, in our women's groups. And, and I, and I did this as well. It was like the check-ins with folks that we hadn't talked to in years. Yep. So for me, it was, I have lots of mentors that I check in with at least once a year, but I just, I decided to call them all at once and was like, how are you? What's going on? And, and since then we've actually had, more regular check-ins than we have mm-hmm. before. My mentees, the same thing, me checking in on them and them checking in on me. Um, so it was one of these things where we all of a sudden we realized we've been taking for granted that we can always see each other. But the fact of the matter is that that's not readily available to us. Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure that we're okay. And that we, and that we are letting each other know you matter to me. Yeah, no, I, I love that. So I was reading some of the articles that you've written recently, and I just want to read this one line or two out loud and get your your take on it because because I really struck me. You wrote, viruses do not discriminate. People do. 
systems do, institutions do. Every decision made now will set a precedent for how people treat each other after this is over. And then you went on to say, what are we going to do to reimagine diversity, equity, and inclusion when the way we work and live will not resemble the way we did before this pandemic? So that's obviously a big question. And you know, I know you're writing a book and you'll hit on all of this. But, you know, if you were to be able to kind of boil it down, you know, and if, how would you answer that question or begin to answer that question? I mean, I think it's, it's the way that I begin to answer is that we have to spend time reexamining everything we've done <laughs> from, from how we engage with each other, how we think about our, the systems and processes. And so I, you know, from a, from a people and culture lens for us, I, I talk to my teams about here's, here's what we need to do. We need to reimagine how we hire. <laughs> how we even source and screen and identify talent and make sure that we are designing the right interventions so that, that those processes are fair. We have to be rethinking our policies and our processes and, you know, and what are the, the conditions that have led to the organizations you know, that we have now. So why are organizations, you know, one of the questions that I often ask is, and, and I, and this is, um, uh, you know, from, from academics. So this is, this is all famed, uh, based on frameworks that I've learned from academics. But the question that I often ask is, what are the conditions that have led us to be a predominantly white and male organization? What are the conditions that have led us to be whatever it is that you are? And once you start thinking about that, then that helps you start thinking about, okay, then how do we reimagine that? How do we rebuild that? And, you know, and, and then how do we create conditions for change going forward? And that, you know, Angela Davis speaks about that from a, you know, change and transformation. It's the work that we do. It's not from one to the next, but it's, you know, it's a series of steps that get us to change. So how do we create the conditions for the possibility of change? Mm -hmm. And, and, and all of that we have to do with the reality that we kept on talking about the future of work as if it was this really far away uh, metric that was coming. It's like, the future work is now. <laughs> I was like, we well, are, this pandemic we are experiencing it now. Right. This pandemic accelerated the future of work overnight. Absolutely. And and anyone who thinks otherwise, um, it, you know, is 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 just not going to be able to actually be successful in an organizational setting. Um, every company, every organization right now is rethinking the you know, what we call advice, the reintegration, the comeback, if you will. <laughs> like, how do we go back to organizations? And even then, there's the very serious questions of, yes, still safety and health and, um, and you know, how do we bring folks back? But also the real questions about how, you know, like human beings at the heart of this, we're communal, right? We, we, we need each other and we need to connect with each other. But it's very strange to now go to a workplace where half of the people are not there because they don't have to be or because they've chosen not to be for health reasons. And if you're going there to be with people, but they're not there, then why are you even in a workplace? And or if you're there and you still have to get on the on the screen to do the same thing you could be doing at home, why why take yourself out of that you know that the comfort of your home if it's comfortable? It's it's not obviously for everyone to do that. And then the third piece of it is how efficient is this? Are, right. we, are we truly from a performance driven perspective? Are we truly driving more efficiencies? Uh, by pushing people to go back to the old norms of working or are we just you know uh, you know adhering to what we thought worked before because it worked before but it will not work going forward and overlay all of that 
the cultural elements of um, inclusion and belonging and connectivity and collaboration and voice and identity. That's <laughs> like all of those pieces, um, which we haven't been historically good at doing in organizations. And now we have to pay a whole lot more attention and, and do it in a way that it's a lot more nuanced and doing do it at a time when I've been calling it persistent exhaustion. Like we're just like, we're just like, it's a, it's a sustained exhaustion that we will have for the next six months plus. Some of the people call it just feeling stuck. You know, I just, I, I call it, it's just like this depleting of energy and feeling right. in me that I just, you know, and because maybe I'm not seeing people and, you know, I get energy from people, maybe a whole host of things, but, but it's all of that, all of these layers. Um, and that, that frankly is what we all need to reckon with right now from an organizational perspective. Wow. Right. So, so literally starting back at the beginning and asking the basic, the most basic questions, and then beginning to layer on all of these issues to your point that we have not historically done that well, and combining that with all of these new challenges. So yes, you and your peers in this space have your work cut cut out for you, but this needed to happen. And we haven't done a good job at, at this. And so I feel hopeful um, that as we begin to go back, some of us to offices and we begin to rethink you know, the now not so future future of work that we will begin to, to do a better job. And you know, one of the things that I obviously have been thinking a lot about is, is rituals. And I am wondering is when we do begin to go through these questions and these processes, and I'm so curious and excited to get your opinion on this. If you know, can rituals be one of those vehicles that can help us deepen our sense of psychological safety and inclusion? And you know, I am not an expert in this, and which is why I want to hear from you. But when I think about it, and we've all been in a million meetings, even if there's a diverse group of people in a meeting, if we only hear from the same two people we're missing out on so much diversity. So yes, we have to get the people in the room or on the Zoom, but then there's so many other issues around psychological safety and belonging if people even feel comfortable talking. So I would love to hear, you know, do you think that rituals could be one of these vehicles that that could help with this lack of psych psychological safety and then in turn really help our businesses thrive? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I would begin with saying that we have to, Re-examine our rituals um, because the fact of the matter is, is that the the rituals of exclusion that have that have existed for so long are what have led to the organizations that you know that we have now and the challenges that we're trying to solve for. Um, so I would say that part of part of this work is re-examining the rituals of how you run meetings, um, how you select talent, how you how you build your groups how you uh, reward and engage your groups and then building new rituals. Um, and that can be anything from um, reconsidering, you know, right now everyone's in the process, you know, we've, we've done all these millions of Zooms and now we're, we're, we're rebringing town halls in a, you know, a little fresher way, in a little more unique way. So it's not as, as boring and painful, um, but it's, you know, part of what we're doing at Vice and others, it's, you know, re-examining who speaks 
set these? How do we um, how do we ensure that everybody gets to speak um, mm-hmm. in these conversations? And you know, and that we also don't create spaces of discomfort for people in the spirit of inclusion, right? That we're just like you don't all have to talk if you don't want to, but but we want to make sure that we create a space that feels safe, psychologically safe for you to be able to contribute an opinion that may feel different from others, um, because that's. That's how that gets done. And so let me share a few examples of how I've started to build new rituals at Vice as, as the new uh, chief people officer. I joined, as I mentioned earlier, uh, at a time when we had a series of employee reductions. Uh, immediately after joining and just like within a week, I had our what, our what we call our community groups, which is our employee resource groups, reach out to me and, uh, and say that they wanted to meet me. And they wanted to share the the impact of what these losses had, uh, the, the impact on these losses on them personally. Um, and while we had conducted all the right statistical analysis to ensure that there was no adverse impact on people of color and women and other marginalized communities, the fact of the matter is, is that when the end count is small, any loss feels insurmountable. Yeah. Um, and and I was acutely aware of that. And so, you know, when they reached out to me, one of the concerns that folks out of the organization, it's like, well, you may not want to meet them by yourself right away because you may want to have some support and, you know, maybe someone from, you know, maybe the legal team or the comms team should go with you. And, you know, and I was really adamant of like, no, you know, I need to build relationship with these teams and they need to be able to have that relationship with me, not like rolling in deep with all sorts of um, executives in the organization. And when I met them, the first thing that they told me was that my predecessor had not met with them before and they, wow. and they wanted to have an ear, uh, you know, they have, they wanted to have the ear of the head of people and culture. They wanted to be able to understand how processes were. And so I promised them, I promised them two things. I've said, I will, I can't meet every, I can't tell you I'm going to meet with you every month, but I will meet with you at a minimum once a quarter. So that's my commitment to you. And you will have one-on-one time with me. Well, you know, team on one uh, time with me and two, before any of the efforts that we put out, you know, go out there, I want you all to be able to vet them and review them. And I will give you, you know, first, you know, first right of refusal, if you will, for any of the initiatives that go out there. And I have kept my word on that. And that's a ritual that's now, and by the way, it's time intensive because every time we have a launch and we've had a lot of new launches recently around new, new policies, new practices, or new DNI strategy, I have sent everything to their representatives. I give them, I send them a Google doc and I say, put all your feedback in there. And then I respond to every feedback. I don't accept every single one of them, but we've gotten some great ideas that we hadn't thought of. And we've had some things that we just haven't been able to implement. But that's a, in a way to me, I look at, I, I look at all these practices as rituals of and expectations that folks will start having that whether I'm there or not, this is a ritual that anyone in a leadership position needs to be undertaking now going forward. And it's so much so that now my team, whenever they're thinking of launching anything, they'll come to me and say, should we be running this by the community rooms? And I'm like, absolutely. So now there, it's an extension of, so now it's a ritual of the entire department versus just my own. Um, and that's a, that's a bit of how we built it in terms of building a different set of expectations and engagements. Mm-hmm. But my favorite ritual, and this is, and I've done this for years in other companies, um, and it takes a different shape is that I send my team a weekly note and 
Um, and, you know, it started years ago when I worked at Disney and it was very formal because it was very Disney. So it was a newsletter and it was really built by my chief of staff. And, you know, it was very formal. and It was always my way of keeping folks abreast of what was happening in the organization and with the business. This one is the most personal one that I've ever done. And it always starts with whatever's happening in my life. And as you, yeah, as I shared at the beginning of this podcast, it usually starts with one of my fails as a, as a mom or, or as a wife, or, you know, sort of something that I, you know, something that I cooked that weekend that I felt really proud of the new vegetables that are farm to table folks brought me, you know, they, usually there's usually a photo or something of here's what this weekend uh, brought. And here's what caught my eye this week from our great content and initiatives that we have in place. And here's things that you all should know because it's a global team. Um, here's things that you all should know that we're, you know, we're launching this week or that we're releasing soon. And it's usually like, I would say about two pages or so, sometimes longer than that. My team would probably like me to have them be shorter. Um, but every other week I check in with them. And it's the one thing that everybody tells me around the world. And I've done my one-on-ones with my team where they say, we're so glad that you do that because you humanize yourself. Yep. Get yourself closer to us. So we feel that we know you. <laughs> we feel that we that we understand you. And we also feel like, like you're going through the same stuff we are. <laughs> you're, you know, you're struggling with, you know, I think one time, one, one week I, I talked about how my daughter is becoming a preteen and she doesn't want to talk to us anymore. And one of my colleagues whose daughter had just turned 13 was like, well, let me tell you about what happened. Um, you know, and so every week there's something that's there and it's but I but I'm I'm holding on to that and it's my Sunday write up and it's my time to kind of decompress from the weekend and get ready for the week ahead by centering on my team and by centering on what I want my team to get from me this week. And that's one of my favorite rituals and it's one that I you know that I intend to keep um, and that I and that I and that I, and that has so far been a way of building relationship and connection with my team. So I just need to react to a couple of things in what you just said. First of all, I mean, you're going to be in my, my book and we, we, and we actually talk about a different ritual. So this is a new one and I love it. Um, that I think a lot about the importance of rituals and beginnings and endings. And so this is sort of how your personal ritual of how you end your week and then sending that on Monday morning you know, and how it's how everybody is experiencing you in terms of beginning their week and beginning it on the right way. And then the other thing I was thinking about when you were talking was people ask me all the time, how do you know if something is a ritual versus a rule versus a protocol? And my, you know, there's a lot of science behind rituals, but for this piece, my unscientific response is you just would go, it would seem so crazy if it didn't happen. Yes. And so when you were talking, my feeling was, wow, this is a really strong ritual because if a Monday came and that wasn't in the inboxes, first of all, people are like, oh my God, I hope Daisy's okay. <laughs> um, but it's something that people come to love and expect. And then all the other benefits that you mentioned around, you know, connection. So thank you for that. And then the last thing I'll say, and then I'm excited to ask you one last question before this quick lightning round um, which is, you know, these, these rituals don't have to cost anything. I mean, it took to take some of your time, but these things, they're not rocket science that you don't have to be Disney or vice or, you know, some big company to, to have some of these rituals, which again are good for people and good for business. So, 
So, so thank you for that. It just hearing from practitioners like yourself make these things very, very real for, for listeners. And so my, my final and favorite question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast is what is the one thing you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? That's such a good question. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's always my family. Um, I, I'm just, I'm at home when you know, the, the image, the first image that came to me when you said that was me uh, hugging my father and being nestled in his arms. Like, that's what makes me feel like I am the most at home. I, I, you know, we were, like I said, we went this weekend to my parents' house in New Jersey. We went to the beach on Saturday. It felt so decadent. Um, but all weekend, all I did was sit in the sofa with my dad and my my brothers and my and my stepmom and my fa- and my husband and daughter and just eat and you know and and laugh. That that is that's what makes me feel most like me, and it's um and it's the place that feels the most uh the most home and the and the most um the most light for me. Yeah, I mean I'm. Not that, not surprised based on what we've learned about you through the podcast. So that that's great. So just a few quick rapid fire questions, and then we will wrap it up. Um, what would you say is your most creative time of day? Are you more of a morning person or a night person? Oh, I'm a morning person. I'm, I'm not an early morning person. I would say like I'm, I'm more of a 9, 10 a.m. person. That is when you get the most from me. Towards the end of the day, my energy wanes. What's your, what's your favorite family meal that you cook together or eat together? Oh, so I'm Dominican. Uh, so, and and plantain, so the, the traditional Dominican breakfast, which is mashed plantain, fried cheese, fried, fried eggs and fried, uh, sausage. That is, that is always home for me. Yeah. What's the last show, if any, that you binge during the pandemic? We're still binging right now. We're binging stranger things. It is terrifying. <laughs> I, I hate suspense shows. We watch one every night and I literally have to watch, go watch the other show I'm binging, which is Queen Sugar, so that it can, it can lighten me up after that. Right, right. Provide that balance. I don't know. I'm not into scary these days. Um, do you have any, any book recommendations? Have you any time for reading, fiction, nonfiction? I love to read. I haven't, I, not that much, but the latest book, I also love to read my friend's books, as you know. So um, my friend Paola Mendoza, just publish her book, Sanctuary. So this is the next book I'm going to start reading. Um, okay. But, uh, but I, you know, there's uh, my other friend, Cecilia Munoz, just released her book, More Than Enough, um, which is fantastic. So those are the two books that, I'm, that are both from friends and that are about the experiences of women, women of color, immigrants, um, that, that really fills my heart. That's great. And the last question, something surprising that you learned about yourself in the last six months during this pandemic. You know, I don't know if it's a, it's something new that I learned about myself, but um, but but I, I've been I, I actually love being home, <laughs> and I'm I as much as I miss the personal connection. I've always been a homebody, and I was I grew up as an only child, so I'm perfect. My my husband not so you know I think you know he's he's he likes to be out and about. I'm perfectly okay being by myself. Rapid fire: what I've learned or what I have been reminded of is that. Um, I enjoy being home and being on my own. And because I grew up in a Caribbean island where we grew up with blackouts and uh, hurricanes and every kind of thing that you could think of, I am, I, my house is always prepared for any disaster. (laughs) 
Well, that's good to know because I don't live that far away from you. So in case something happens. So Daisy, thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to watch and see all the progress you make at Vice and writing this new book that will, when, when does it come out? 2021? 2021. Yes. I'll be, I'll be, uh, uh, completing it by March and hopefully by the fall of 2021, it will be available to all. All right. Well, we will get it out to all these listeners. So thank you. Stay safe. And hopefully the next time we connect, it will be in person. Oh, maybe so. Thank you so much, Erica. And thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to Left to Our Own Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly newsletter, text the word HUMAN to 66866. Or you can connect with me by email at erica at spaghettiproject.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you next time.